Hello, this is Mary Beth Terrell with the Top Performers Podcast. Thank you for listening today. We are speaking with Christina Valentoni. She's a professor at USC Annenberg and also works with the 19th News, a nonprofit newsroom focusing on gender, politics, and policy. She has more than 20 years of experience in journalism, covering local, state, and federal government, as well as four presidential campaigns and the White House. Valentoni was an assistant managing editor at the Los Angeles Times, where she led the California politics team and oversaw hard-hitting sexual harassment investigations that prompted two assembly resignations. (laughs) I found that tiny little bit.ly link on your LinkedIn thing. I was like, oh, what's that? And now I'm like too intimidated to talk to you. So (laughs) I think because you've been on Bill Maher's program, this puts me within at least five degrees of Kevin Bacon. But (laughs) Uh, oh, you know that. So that's a funny thing. I um, I actually in my classes I teach a thing about like sort of celebrity in politics, right? And. I went to one White House correspondence dinner. He was there and I took a photo where it's like, it looks like a selfie and he's just looking at the camera. Like we definitely did not take a selfie together. And so my, awesome. my last slide in my class is I tell the students, you know, you're all second degree now. So um, <laughs> it's pretty uh-huh, I'll take it. Uh, the funny thing I did the same thing in the Wax Museum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm irrelevant in every direction because if I if I talk about six degrees of anything my kids just look at me like I'm are you talking in (laughs) Celsius what's happening right right (laughs) so thank you so much um you have uh my gosh you have been everywhere and done everything um what brought you to the point you are now is this where you wanted to be or did it happen because the plan changed as you had accomplishments. Um, kind of catch me up from, from wherever you want to start. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I will say I never imagined myself as a teacher. That was not my dream. I sort of always assumed college professors needed to have master's degrees, which I don't. Um, and that was just sort of never in my plan you know, life plan or brain plan or anything. Um, And for me, I mean, honestly, my whole life, I wanted to be a writer. That's what I always told people. That's what I felt. I loved reading. I fancied the idea of being a novelist, like Stephen King is my idol. Um, That's what I wanted to do. And then at sort of some stages, I became more, you know, aware of the world. I realized like, oh, you can't, you can't make money doing that. <laughs> um, how am I going to pay my bills as a you know young person? I grew up really poor and um, never wanted to be in a position like, you know, my mom and I had been in for, for most of my life. Um, and I, I sort of thought like, okay, well, I need to figure out like a, a career and um, not everyone can be Stephen King and become a, you know, gazillionaire writing books. So in all of that, I found myself attracted to news and realized, oh, okay, my passion for writing, my love of gossip, uh, which I sort of think is key to being a journalist, <laughs> um, <laughs> and and my you know desire to sort of influence news and to make a difference in the world, like these things can all 
coincide nicely if I become a journalist. You know, that's sort of like the short version of how I got there. And I think I was kind of lucky. You know, now I spend my whole day with college students, and I think a lot of them aren't a hundred percent sure what they want to do, and that's that's fine. That's what college is supposed to be. Right? You find yeah. yourself, right? But but for me, I think, wow, I'm lucky that the timing works. That I did know what I want to do, and I started kind of early. I um, by the time I was a sophomore in college at UC Berkeley, I got a job at a newspaper. And I love telling the story because um, my students, they're always sort of like, where do I start? How do I network? And I say, like, you know, do anything you can. And what I did, I walked in, I talked to an editor and I said, oh, I, I wrote stories. You know, here's a soap opera I wrote for my high school newspaper. And here's a review of a burrito restaurant I wrote. And the editor like laughed at me. You don't have any experience. Get out of here. And on the way out of the newsroom, they had a receptionist opening and I knew how to answer the phones. And so I got that job and I just told everybody what I wanted to do. And ultimately, I wore them down until they gave me a little bit of work. And when I did a little bit of work, they liked the work that I did and I asked for more. And I was able to kind of work my way into that newsroom. I was I started as like a researcher I think I made like seven dollars an hour or something like that this was in 1998 or nine and then I just said you know I really want to write stories I really want to write stories and I actually just dug this out of my office recently the very first published story I got you know professionally that was not my high school newspaper was about these little beekeepers who had this little kind of storefront in the front of their house in San Jose California and it was a small business story and it's terrible. You know, it's like not well written. My reporting is not very deep and they let me publish it. And in the end, like you have to start somewhere. And um, so that was at the San Jose Business Journal. And, you know, same thing. Like, again, it's all advice I tell my students now. Like I told everybody what I wanted. I worked hard. I gave it 150%. And in the end, they kept giving me more and I got better along the way. And, and somehow my love politics, like it didn't really materialize till the end of college. Um, the 2000 president presidential election was the first one that I could vote in. And I was just, I was hooked immediately. And I even like, I actually have a letter I wrote to someone that night as I was watching as, you know, Florida was called and then uncalled and that whole thing. I just distinctly was so struck by reporters, like waiting outside of Al Gore's headquarters in the rain, seeing what's going to happen. And I just was like, wow, that's what I want to do. You know, it was this huge light bulb went off for me. And I started asking people, you know, how do I do that? And, and I was as far from political reporting as you could get. And people just said to me, well, you need to do local politics first. So I ended up moving from these like business papers where I had been working, doing you know, kind of boring lifestyle coverage. I covered like venture capital and banking for a while. Um, and I ended up doing community journalism at this like really scrappy small tabloid paper. And in the end, it was the best training I could have gotten. I got it all on the job. I did not have a great, you know, academic program like the one I teach in now. And, you know, I got better and I got better and then I got better. And ultimately I had a pretty big scoop that um, showed that I, you know, had like good government accountability chops and some, you know, basically law enforcement reporting and how to navigate the courts. And I talked my way into a newsroom in DC where they gave me a tryout and then they hired me and I took a pay cut 
to move across the country into an apartment that I had never seen um, at the my my then boyfriend at the time, uh, who later became my ex husband, um, and I you know we we're both journalists and we just kind of took a gamble and we drove and. I had never lived anywhere but San Jose, California. I'd never left my mom, who I was very close to. And I also tell students this too, like taking that risk and making myself uncomfortable was the best thing I could have ever done for myself professionally. Um, it was the hardest year of my life, like that first year um, being in Washington, D.C., realizing, you know, how far away from home I was, how cold it was, how different everyone was. And well, everything you learned to get there didn't matter to any of them, right? <laughs> right, right. All of yeah. that. So, but in the Goodness. end, I I wasn't sure how it would go, and I stayed in Washington for almost thirteen years, and I sort of worked my way up in politics, and I started at a conservative newspaper, and that made me uncomfortable. I was personally, you know, like I'm personally liberal politics, and I found a way to do it in a way that I could be proud. You know, they were very transparent with me about the issues that their audience cared about, you know, sort of like guns, God, gay people, um, you know, immigration. And even then, it's just 2003, these were very hot button topics. And I just found a way to, to do my work in a way that meant I could get a different job. And when Democrats would sometimes tell me, like, I don't want to talk to you, you work for the Washington Times, I would tell them, you know, with all due respect, I do not intend to retire at the Washington Times. So it's in my best interest to treat you well, you know, fairly, not not covering you, you know, with favor or not favor, but just fairly. Right. But so that you'll it's not going return to my bad. calls when I work somewhere else. Yeah. Sure. And, um, and that worked out. So uh, then I, I also worked on the left. I've worked at a variety of different types of things. I've done digital media. I've been an editor. And my favorite sort of job I ever had in journalism was being in charge of Roll Call, which is known as the community newspaper of Capitol Hill. Um, it's now more than 70 years old. And um, it, it was a storied institution in Washington and read by what you were their editor in chief. Yeah, um, I had a couple different roles there. And then I, I ultimately was editor in chief before I left. And um, the idea is you know, there's 535 members of Congress plus all their staffs, plus the Capitol Police, plus the neighborhoods that surround Capitol Hill. And so it really does become this community and you can do exactly the kind of journalism I was doing at the tabloid, you know, back in 2001, 2002 in Washington for these extremely influential people. And it was so fun and I had a great team and I just, I learned a lot about myself and management and leading, whatever. And then my mom had moved to Los Angeles and was going through some health challenges and I had just gotten remarried and my husband is Australian and we, um, it didn't really make sense for him to work in Washington. We had sort of talked about like what was going to work out and, um, you know, he was still waiting for a green card to be able to legally work and his, he's a physical therapist. He was trying to get a license. It was just very complicated. And, and the LA Times called and they said, you know, we know you're from California have you ever thought about moving back? And it was just suddenly this opportunity where all the stars aligned. Like, if I'm ever going to go home to California, this was my chance. And the LA That's Times gave, gave me a masthead role, um, which is effectively like the top leadership of the paper, and put me in charge of this new politics project. Um, and I would face in LA. And you know, so Patrick and I moved and started this very different life here. And 
I was at the LA Times for like probably its three most tumultuous years. Um, ownership changes, a lot of firing, money problems, buyouts, like just all the sort of media problems you can imagine. And at the end of those three years, I, I had a son who's two years old at this point. The paper announced that it was going to move to a completely different part of LA than where I lived. And LA, you know, as you can hear him in the car, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of traffic. And I just realized like that commute would change my life and not in a positive way. Like I would never see my family. And that was kind of not the point of why I was in California to begin with. And so I was applying for some other roles and I actually had this huge moment where I got a job as the West Coast Bureau Chief at the Wall Street Journal. They offered me the role. And um, at the same time, I was having these conversations with the University of Southern California, which is this big like institution in LA. Um, it's the largest private employer in Los Angeles, one of the largest landowners in LA and sort of you know, has an important place in LA's history and um, private institution. They called me, have you ever thought about teaching? I was like, well, no, I don't have a master's. And um, I was deciding between this like really big job, you know, if you work the Wall Street Journal, you can work anywhere in the world in journalism, which was appealing having a husband um, who is not from here. And I wasn't sure what to do. And in the end, somebody told me, if you work at the Wall Street Journal, you start your day, you know, in this job, you start your day on New York time and you finish it on Hawaii time. And I thought, you know what, that doesn't, that doesn't sound that good either. And I just made a change and I sort of thought teaching might be temporary. And now I'm five years in and it's, I love it so much. And I think it really is, calling is a weird word, but it, it's working. I, I can see directly how I can help young journalists any, just young people, a lot of our students end up not becoming journalists and that's okay. I think that I can help them in a lot of different ways based on the things I've learned over my career. And, and so like, this is a very long way to tell you my story in that I fell into this and it's perfect. And um, there, you know, certainly it's a challenging job and I, we can talk about all of that, but I, I love that I'm adjacent to journalism. I still do some work every once in a while. I freelance. Um, I've helped out with different like nonprofit publications. I'm serving on the board of a um, nonprofit newsroom right now. I am consulting with a um, sort of a journalism adjacent organization right now and just doing interesting things and getting to think about media's problems without actually being steeped in the crisis of the media at the moment, which I always have been um, and every place I've ever worked has had like major issues <laughs> and financial issues sure. or scrappy and, you know, the 10th in line instead of the big behemoth and all of those things. So yeah, I, all of it has been just really a cool life experience. And I'm really grateful that I, I got the opportunity to come home to California and that I can still do what I love without, um, having to be in Washington anymore because every time I go back I, I miss my friends and that sometimes I miss the like intellectual rigor of the place you know it's very different from LA the conversations you have um, socially but for the most part I'm always sure. glad to be that's fantastic what a fun story um so you I mean <laughs> you you've never had you've never said you know what what industry is is going to make my life easier. You just made a way, you made the industry fit your life is what it sounds like. Um, yeah. which yeah. brings me to one of my favorite things, which is mindset. So, so, you know, for being in such, 
I, I don't know a ton about your industry other than as as a consumer. So it they've never made a movie or written a book about how easy it is. <laughs> so how have you applied mindset and how do you advise your students with that? Um, how do you utilize mindset? And then and then when it slips on you, how do you reset? Yeah, um, usually I, I do it with my students. I tell them a story. Um, and this was like a profound moment in my life that I didn't realize was profound at the time. Um, only later after I'd gone through some some serious challenges, um, did I realize how how big it had been. But I was working at this this small paper that I mentioned, um, and it was the like couple days before Thanksgiving and like the students at the high school had like a break and there was this big party. It was like kind of a little um, town like built at the edge of the mountains. There's these like little mountains. Um, so they were at a party like the top of this mountain and they were all partying and a kid, well, and the police, somebody called the police, please come up the hill, sirens blaring. Everybody gets in their cars and starts driving down the hill. And, you know, you can kind of get a sense of where the story ends. Um, effectively, a kid was um, drunk driving and he stopped to help, you know, get, get in, get in, I'll help you as some other students were running down the hill. And the student driving ended up getting in an accident. The car flipped. The students who had been running down the hill um both were severely injured and that's all we kind of knew the police shared that and um in the end i this story fell into my lap on like the wednesday before thanksgiving and it was a daily paper and um i wrote about you know kid in critical condition in the hospital after this drunk driving incident um you know 16 year old has been arrested but they didn't, you know, tell us, you know, much more information than that. But it's a small town. Everybody in the community kind of knew. So I reported out this story. And my boss said to me, look, it's Thanksgiving and you have the day off, but we are doing a newspaper. And if this kid dies, you will need to go and report that story. And he just sort of gave me like warning. And effectively, like, that's exactly what happened. Um, my then boyfriend and I had just sat down for dinner, you know, 4.30 or whatever with my mom and some friends um, at her apartment. And this kid, I got the call from the you know, police that he had died. And I had to get up from the Thanksgiving table and leave everybody I loved and go knock on the door of this family who had just lost, you know, this the you know the, the firstborn son you know this beautiful person um to a you know totally senseless avoidable tragedy and yeah. it was really hard it was one of the hardest stories i've ever done and um so two things so i i did knock on that door and i just told the family i am so sorry for your loss i would like to tell eric's story um can you talk with me and the, this was also a big story for like the big paper that I was competing with, the San Jose Mercury News, but they knew that we were the community paper. And I just, I think I just showed, I, who knows what it was, but they let me in and I cried with that family and I went through baby pictures with that family. And they, um, at the time, like the mom had had like a, I can't remember how old she was, but like Eric had had a little sister who was, you know, toddler age. And we spent time with the baby and I just, I, I talked to them and I helped them. And I, I went back to the office and I wrote a story that I felt was, you know, as true as I could be to like who Eric was. And it was really hard. 
and then I continue to like cover the story. And I think about this kid a lot, um, Eric Casada and like his family. And then of course the 16 year old whose life was effectively ruined by my newspaper, which decided to name him, even though the police didn't oh. name him, everybody in the community knew who he was. And, and we did, we did name him. And I, I thought a lot about the decision and I wouldn't do it today as an editor. Um, I didn't really have a choice. My editor, you know, was kind of like, we know the name. You can't withhold something you know as a journalist. That's a responsibility. And I think it's one of those ethical decisions that sometimes face. So that was a big part of it. And 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 mm -hmm. looking back, I realized, like, for me, it's, are you the type of person who, as a career, can go knock on that family's door? Um, can tell, um, you know, even think just now, I, I shared this advice with my students after the Monterey Park shooting, just get close here. Um in Los Angeles, um, and I, um, I said, like, you know, in some cases, like, you might be informing these families that they've lost someone, right, like, law enforcement tries to do that, but, like, it doesn't always happen if you know who it is, and you're knocking on their door, like, you might be the first person they talk to when they're lost, and, like, that's really hard, so you just have to kind of ask yourself, like, is that journalism I want to do and it's not every kind of journalism but I think a lot of our students come in and they're like I want to be a sideline reporter or I want to be on a red carpet or I want to read the news and look beautiful <laughs> in front of a green screen and sometimes this is the the ugly hard part of it um, where you are you're asking hard questions and you're you're invading people's privacy and you're you know hoping for the best result and so how do you do it with empathy and kindness without re-traumatizing people um is it okay to be human? Is it okay to cry with these families? All those things, right? So those big, big things. But the second thing, which gets a little bit more to the mindset question, is I realized later, um, you know, my, my relationship did not work out um, with my then boyfriend. And um, he was extremely resentful that I left that Thanksgiving table, more so than my mom. Um, and we ended up having a lot of problems later in my career and both of us were journalists um, as I just had higher profile things. I don't want to say I was more successful than him. I think by most measures, like you, you might say that we were successful in different ways. Um, and I think mine were more high profile. I mean, you'd go to a party, people would want to talk to me about covering the Barack Obama campaign or whatever, you know, our friends were just like more interested in what I was doing than the type of work he was doing. And I think this was a moment where he saw me put my job ahead of him and my family. And that became like a running theme. And, and so it's not necessarily about my relationship. It's about if you're going to do this line of work, you have to make sure you're supported by people who who get it right they don't have to be yeah. happy they're getting up from the thanksgiving table but they have to understand that you're in a business and you've chosen a business that sometimes that's necessary or even like i have a good friend who is at the wall street journal and she just the other day like she thought she was going to poland with joe biden and what do you know she actually went to ukraine with joe biden and <laughs> you know, she, she has an infant daughter at home and like that was a profound big thing um and, you know, no small thing. And that's just the, when you're covering the White House and um, you choose to have a family like these are choices you have to make all the time and it's just things that you're confronted with. And I, I think it's just a matter of recognizing like that's you can you deserve supportive people around you. And even if they don't get it or they don't, you know, even they, they're not happy when you get it from the table, like they, they have to understand why you want to and that it's not going to yeah. become a fight. Um, and so I think that's, those are two big mindset things and they apply to like what I'm doing now, right? I 
I tell my students, they, you know, of course they're students, they slack me at all hours of the day, but I say, look, I have a couple solid quality hours with my family every day, usually between six and 9 PM when I'm feeding the children and getting their teeth brushed and getting them in bed. <laughs> and that's the time I'm not going to respond to your Slack messages. Um, I will, I'd be happy to respond to them at 7 AM, you know, when I start working or after the kids go to bed, sometimes if it's an emergency, but like that's protected time for me. And you can't do that when you're working in a newspaper. So that all goes to my mindset now of like, I'm in academia. That is a, a a structure that affords me, I pretty much do almost zero work in December, which is awesome, you know, after I've put in my grades and graded the final and stuff. And then sure. I, I, same thing, like the end of May and, and June is like really nice. And that's like a great time to be a professor because there's not <laughs> a lot happening. And the rest of the time I've, I'm we're still working like 55 hours a week, you know, it's almost as much as I worked in a newspaper, but the work is much more satisfying. Um, and it's also, it lasts. I can look at now, you know, I've been here enough time. I've seen people graduate and go on to successful careers in journalism, making great money or doing really impactful work. And I can point to them and say like, I taught that student or I remember when, and you know, it's also so amazing sometimes when the students say that, like, oh, you had this profound influence on me. You're like, wow, you know, I, that's way better <laughs> than any scoop I ever got or anytime you're on the front page of a, you know, it just, um, it does really, it feels very satisfying. That is, that's tremendous. And, and I think you're right. I think we, we do, um, we hear a lot about the, the, and you know what, I think it's subsided um, as the market's changed, but there were a few years there where every graduating class was told, oh, follow your heart. If it's not your passion, then, you know, keep, keep looking. And that, well, it, I think that's true. I think you also have to have food on the table. And sometimes in order to do that, you have to leave the table to go earn, earn what you're doing, you know? Um, and, and it's, it's just a, a, a different mindset of, of, uh, what you're trying to accomplish and prioritizing that. But that, I think our generation, uh, we both had our first opportunity to vote at the same time. Uh, <laughs> uh our generation, we, we've gotten to, find a balance that at least I didn't think was possible. It sounded like a pipe dream to me to work from home, you know, when I was graduating college. So it's, it, but you had to, there's enough of that Gen Xer in there that you really felt like you needed to earn it. And, uh, and it was fun to see the change um, about the possibilities, but, um, but yeah, mindset is, is everything. And you seem so driven. Um, and you, you seem to find inspiration from all around you. Does it ever slip? And if it does, what do you, what do you do? <laughs> do is, does that, when it slips, does that mean you need a day at the beach or, 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 yeah. or you've you been know, to the beach too long? <laughs> I definitely, you know, there are moments where it's like, we all do this, where it's like, oh, you know, I I've got the snipples, but I have to come in for whatever. And I think having, um, the, we did USC is one of the only universities that never went hybrid. We did a full 18 months remote and teaching on zoom wow. is really hard. Um, the only thing harder than teaching on zoom is teaching hybrid, <laughs> which still happens because students, you know, <laughs> they, they get COVID and then they're out and then you're trying to teach on zoom. And it's like, we, you know, I actually don't allow it. I just say like, if you're going to be sick, be sick. I'll provide you a recording later. Um, Cause you just can't teach well to both environments um but um 
Yeah, but uh, so yeah, sometimes I, I have realized like, okay, you know what, like, I don't need to push through this, I can just stay home in bed and be sick today. And like, that's all right. And that's a, um, I haven't always been able to do that. And I also, I mean, the other thing about my job that's great is like, you know, I am, most professors aren't there every day. I run, um, my job is I'm a professor, but I also am the director of this student newsroom known um, as the Annenberg Media Center and the home to Annenberg Media, which is the actual news outlet, which covers LA. And um, so I'm there five days a week. You know, I, I'm there, yeah. the students kind of need me. I don't have a lot of staff support. Um, I don't have many other faculty who are there all the time. So, so really I, you know, I'm going in, but I can come in today. I dropped my son off at school cause it was raining. Like I can come in at 10, not a big deal. Um, I, it, my daughter's birthday, you know, during the week I can take it off and it's just not a big deal. Um, that's, that's a flexibility that it, I've never afforded in the news business or people don't take it rarely unless they're at the very top. Um, and so I think that's been good and like allowing myself to kind of slow down. And even that, like, sometimes I feel guilty in December and June where I'm like, oh, I'm really not doing much work. And then it's like, I always tell my husband, like, remind me this during the first four weeks of each semester when I can like <laughs> function because I'm so overloaded. And it's just, that's just the right. nature of academia. Like you have this pacing that is not that different from like election season in a newsroom or whatever um, is your sort of thing you're covering, um, you know, award season for entertainment coverage or whatever, or whatever. Sure. Um, so as far as uh, advice, what's your favorite advice to either give to your students or, or that you've received from, from others mm, along the way? Yeah. You know, it's nice that there's so much, right? I have I have a lot to choose from. Um, I I you know this is this will sound real weird that I'm starting with this one, but it's just the first one that popped in my head. Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, um, former congresswoman, who's um, you know sort of Trump before Trump was Trump. Um, you know, extremely right. like far right. I couldn't be more different from her in my politics, but I, I wrote a lot about her and I, I did a big profile of her presidential campaign in 2012 um, for a women's magazine called uh, More Magazine. And I, so I got to know her pretty well. And she was always extremely kind and good to me. Um, and also to, I did this, um, briefly, I did this Harvard program where I had students. So it's like the only other time I like sort of taught Um it was like a study group, but um, she was really good to my, my Harvard students. And um, so anyway, one time she said to me, um, we were talking about like balancing being a mom and she has a bunch of kids um, and some foster children as well. Um, and, you know, doing a lot in your life and business or whatever. And she just said, you know, you can have it all, but you can't have it at once. Um, and, you know, I always sort of hated that. Like, well, of course I can, you know, but I, I do kind of realize now that I'm older and now that I have two children and like, you know, I have this crazy commute so that we can send our kid to the best school that we possibly can that's in the public school system. Um, like that, maybe it is sort of a little true, right? You know, I, I'm making choices and, and every once in a while I sort of, you know, look at the LA Times, which is now like thriving under new ownership and I think like, gosh, you know, I'm making this crazy commute that might've been the same as the crazy commute had I stayed there and maybe I would end up you know, as a deputy managing editor, you know, I'll run the paper one day. And I sort of get this little pang, like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? But then I think like, actually, like, I love the fact that I am going to go home and like, do good stuff with my kids. And, and these are just choices that you make. And so that's one sure. bit of it. 
Now that advice is totally meaningless to my students. Um, one of the things <laughs> I, I try to tell them is more about what I started to talk about at the beginning, which is um, do the thing that makes you nervous. Do the thing that you're scared of. Do the thing that um, you know you never imagined you would do, like move across the country <laughs> um, from everything that you knew um, to a totally foreign place. And, and I, I'm like, again, I just think that was the best thing I ever could have done. And, um, um, okay. So, um, so yeah, leaving, leaving my comfort zone and, um, you know, going so far away from home and all those things, like it tested me in ways I didn't even realize that were very positive for me as a human. Um, and so I, I will tell students like do that thing. Um, they will talk all the time about, you know, oh, I don't want to leave a boyfriend or gee, I've never done X or can I do it? So I'm like, of course you can do it. Just try. Um, and then, you know, separately as a woman um, and particularly, you know, I, um, I think I've had a, a lot of privilege in my life in some ways, um, being a white woman. Um, I also, I grew up poor. I grew up, um, you know, using government financial assistance, first in my family to go to college, like a lot of those things. And um, I think that in general, women and particularly young women and especially women of color, you know, are just, they don't stand up for themselves sometimes. I, I really work to help people who came up like I did and others who just need somebody to give them an opportunity to, to be proud of themselves, to be able to talk about their accomplishments um, without um, feeling shy without um, thinking that what they've done isn't enough, right? Um, I mean, right. I work with incredible young people. These students are brilliant and hardworking and they all do 800 things and they all have imposter syndrome. Um, they are really struggling with like, am I enough? Can I do this? And, and, and I just, yes, you are. And don't be afraid. And, and I just, I, I really saw that as a manager um, where man after man after man would walk into my office and say like, I need a raise for this reason, or I should get the promotion for this reason. And sometimes I didn't even give a reason, just, you know, that should be me. And then women would come in <laughs> and apologize for asking for a thousand dollars more a year. And, and sometimes, you know, I like at most places I ever worked, I inherited these salaries and budgets and you look and you'd be horrified at the huge disparities between the salaries. And again, for a lot of people who were equally experienced, um, you know, equal number of years on the job. In some cases, women were more qualified many times. And it just, it just made me realize like, there are some serious problems in this industry. And so I feel like in the role I'm in now, I can help young people fight against that now, right? And so start yeah. to correct all of the problems in this industry um, by helping them advocate for themselves. Um, you know, and understanding what, their value. That's huge. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so anyway, it's a long way of saying some of the advice is like, just don't be afraid to speak up. Um, but especially like tell people what you want. Because I think that's something I never had a hard time talking about my dreams. And I also knew early on what I wanted to do. So, you know, when I walked into that first newsroom, and I just wouldn't shut up about how I just want to get a published story. <laughs> eventually, I was able to get a published story. And um, that makes a big difference um, in the end because people think of you, right? If, if, if I know a student has a particular interest in one of my students, she really wants to do sports PR. 
the second she told me that, what do you know, every time I see a fourth PR opportunity, I'm nominating her or sending her the link or suggesting that she'd be great for it to like lift her up. And I really tell them to do that to others too. Um, because you just never know, like sometimes you don't see yourself in leadership. You don't see yourself in that next thing unless someone else sees you there. And oftentimes yeah. people aren't always feeling comfortable to say, oh, I see you there. And so I just, I automatically, I always tell people when I see them there, I want to tell them, I see you doing this or you're, you know, even last night I was helping a student and she had just made like a really nice edit. And I just said, you are such a gifted writer. Like that is, that is a sophisticated edit that most of the students wouldn't have done. And she sent me this really long thank you note afterwards. And I didn't, I didn't mean it to be like profound for her, but it had, been, you know, she's like, I've really been doubting myself and just what you said, like made this huge difference. And I just thought like, exactly. Like, this is what it's about. Um, it's really easy to lift people up and it takes so much effort to be petty and keep people small. Yeah. Boy, that's, that's huge. Um, not to just keep you, that's the one word I know apparently, but it, it is because you're, you're at the at a very, a very unique point in their lives where, especially if they aren't following in footsteps of someone in their family or, a, you know, a, someone in their circle, they don't see themselves as being able to do that because they've never seen someone do it. They can't envision, you know what I mean? <laughs> like mm-hmm. your LeBron's son can envision what it's like to play professional basketball, but he may not understand what it feels like to be a journalist. You know right, I mean? right. So, um, anyway, uh, that that's amazing. Um, so I, I, I've got to ask you this, and it's not fair because you've been in so many different circumstances where this answer would change, but what's your favorite question to ask? Uh, boy. You know, I, I here on campus, um, I try to ask anyone that's ever here. You know, we have a million speakers come in different things, you know, their CEOs or their top journalists or, you know, influencers or whatever. I, I always just ask them, if you could travel back in time and talk to your 22-year-old self, what would you say? Um, and I think in some ways, like, I've answered a lot of that already in our discussion because I think about yeah. it, like, all the things I wish I had learned. But at the same time, if I had known them, I wouldn't have been able to have the life experiences that I've had that have made me who I am. And in the end, our mistakes mistakes are what shape us far more than our successes. And, um, you know, pain is extremely powerful um, in influencing us to be our best selves. And like, so I sort of love that even, even the mistakes I make, you know, it's like, sometimes you ask advice, like sometimes I tell students, like, you know, they're asking me like, Hey, should I, move in with my boyfriend or whatever I'm, you know, they're too young. You know, I just, I realized that I was too young to be in a serious relationship. And in the end, like, I'm super grateful that I was, but like, I think it definitely like affected a lot of my choices in a way that if I had been more selfish, you know, would have just, life would have been different. And I just, I look at them and I think, gosh, they have no business making their decision based on this like dumb boyfriend <laughs> they have, you know, and, um, and, but then again, like, those are mistakes they should can and should make themselves so that they can give that advice to have it be ignored by, you know, their kids or their whatever, you know, in, in 10, exactly. 15 years. Um, I don't so, know when I turned into everybody's big sister, but it happens <laughs> at some point in time, or gradually, I don't know, yeah, but I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's fun to ask that question because people, they're not usually expecting it. 
um, they usually have a pretty good answer. Everybody has, you know, a clear mistake that they made or something that they wish they had done differently. And so it's like fun to reflect on it. Um, I teach my students interview techniques and sometimes it's just like, tell me about your journey, right? How, how did you arrive at this moment? And like, well, what's your turning point? Or, yeah, I love people asking people about their mentors um, because everybody wants to thank others and, and remember who helped them get, you know, get where they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wish I wish I had more time with you, but I think I might have to pull you back at some point. Um, <laughs> so um, what are you excited about? tackling next what what is there anything you you'd like to cover that I didn't think to ask um, oh boy um well I'm trying to think I've I've signed a non-disclosure agreement so I have to be careful in what I say but I am um, I've been retained by a law firm to be a, a legal expert in a matter of like journalistic sort of it's like a journalistic ethics question sort of so wow. um if this case goes to trial I will be like deposed and give a report on um this matter and it's really exciting because it's something that I care deeply about um and I feel like it's a way that I can kind of put my own life and expertise to the test um and um you know what what I know about it you know effectively I would be speaking about like what I understand about newsroom norms and how they would apply to this particular legal situation. That's cool, like that's ahead. Um, yeah. And then I also, I, I would be remiss if I didn't match up. Of course, even though I wanted to kind of get away from politics and I left DC and all of that, you know, I keep getting pulled back into it. So I teach political reporting here and we've been very lucky. There's a generous alum who really wants our students to have experiential learning. So, you know, outside of the classroom and she pays for trips for these students to go um, report in wherever. So in 2020, I took my students with me to the Iowa caucuses and the Nevada caucuses. And then um, 2022, this last spring, I took students with me to Texas and we covered the congressional primaries and redistricting in Virginia. It's like really cool, fun stuff where they're you know, getting to leave LA and do this all expenses paid. So coming up in 2024, I will actually teach the class twice. I'll teach it in spring and fall. And we'll go to a primary state, still deciding if we're going to do South Carolina or maybe go to Iowa one last time. Um, and uh, and then go to a battleground state in fall 24. So, you know, it's a lot of work, wow. but it's also super rewarding to be able to like show these students, you know, what it's like to report out there in places that are very different from LA. Yeah, yeah, that's that's got to be a whole lot of fun and really interesting. I mean, like you said, that people come in for for different reasons, but um, I mean, I got zero reporting experience, and I would find that really fun and interesting. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, students who come, you know, they aren't all journalists, right? They, you know, they might go on to that, but they might go on to be speech writers or, you know, yeah. run for office themselves one day. One day. Um, I think it's it's great that you kind of open their eyes up to that because that's the scariest thing I think when you're 18 everybody's looking at you saying what do you want to do for the rest of your life <laughs> well, mm -hmm. how am I supposed to know that so um, some people yeah. are lucky enough to know that's exactly. great exactly um well th thank you so much for your time is there um you know anything else you you had to share that we didn't cover 
I think we hit it. Um, this is really fun. Right. Um, I am really appreciate <laughs> okay. the opportunity and um, I'm looking forward to talking to you again offline. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I, the, the more I know about you, the more I want to know you. So um, just you have my number. Don't lose it. And, and I'll be in touch shortly. Sounds great. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to be a top performer on this podcast, or if you know someone you'd like to recommend, please reach out to me directly or feel free to make an introduction. Um, I'm excited to talk to all top performers from all walks of life. Thanks again.